Welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to Game Compute. So today we're here um gonna talk about income streams. So I'm chilling at home after work. Um watch some of the lecture content for classes that I'm trying to get through um and this seems like it's showing to be pretty quiet so I'm hoping it's loud enough that you can hear me but we'll see um so let's see we're gonna talk about reverse engineering income streams I'm going to be writing as I'm talking, and you probably won't notice, <laughs> um, but I kind of have to write for my own notes. Um, so, I should have done this in the first place, but bear with me. So, we're going to talk about two different types of income streams. One kind of more com one easy one and one kind of more complex. So, as a consumer, right, you can think of things that you purchase or use that somebody else gets paid for and figure out how you could duplicate that process. So, an easy example of this is eBay, right? Um, so with eBay, what you do as a buyer, <clears throat> excuse me, as a buyer, basically being a buyer makes it so that the person who posts gets money from the buyer of course yes come all ye motorcycles just yes this is the time to drive by as loud as you possibly can while I'm trying to record so um the buyer takes their money and they purchase an item right I mean this isn't I'm using eBay because I feel like most people understand that process. If you're purchasing something, let's make it easy. Um, what 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 do people purchase these days? I don't even know, honestly. Um, let's say you're just you're buying a, a water bottle. Um, you want this specific water bottle that just says H2O on it. Um, so you purchase this water bottle from a person's site uh from their from from ebay but from someone else's um postings right so there are basically sellers and buyers and the seller provides the item the seller's providing these water bottles and 
let's just say that the seller has a store on eBay named um, Seller 101. I don't know. Um, and Seller 101 is selling a hundred of these items, these water bottles. So, how did you, as a buyer, get recommended to this seller, right? Basically, there are probably filters that you might have in place or aspects that you know about eBay itself that determines whose store you're going to come across, right? So there are many different factors. There's um, the certain state that you're in. There's national versus international. There's um, buy now, right? There's shipping times. There's free shipping. So depending on the different variables that you prefer, these are which stores you're going to be recommended to that sell this specific H2O water bottle. This fictitious, I don't even know if it even exists, but a fictitious water bottle labeled, it just has a label H2O on it. And maybe that's your favorite brand and you want that. You want one and you come across seller 101 because it hits all the points, right? So usually with eBay, something that is um, closing soon, that's probably going to pop up first. Something that's also with a buy now option and something that has been posted for a while or a person who has multiple sales, um, these are going to make that person, that person's store more readily available for buyers to see and the more options the person has that are beneficial to the buyer the more options that the that the store owner has that are beneficial to the buyer the more opportunities the um, store is going to have to pop up on a buyer search, right? Um, usually when you go into eBay, you know kind of what you want. Um, maybe, I mean, maybe you don't, I don't know. I don't know if people do eBay like they do the mall where you just like waltz into a mall and you're kind of just like, I'm just here to like look around at like, you know, some stimulating, um, products that people are selling in their stores and things um I think usually when you go to eBay you're like I want this specific thing I'm gonna see if it's on eBay um you know I'd rather have it shipped to me and wait versus you know going to the store and buying it in person this specifically happens when it's an item that's maybe hard to find in stores or when it's an item that's 
maybe a little bit older and you know that you can find it or something popular and you know that you can find it online cheaper sometimes you'd rather wait for the cheaper item right so say if this h2o water bottle at your nearest gas station three blocks away is available for five dollars and if they're selling it on ebay for ten dollars you're likely not gonna buy it on ebay because that's a ripoff um especially because you're gonna have to wait longer and pay more i mean people are willing to kind of pay a little bit more if it's something that's like something that they want really badly but they'd rather not do the driving to go purchase it or they don't really mind the wait but usually i would say people don't pay an extreme amount over you know the market value price um to be purchasing an item so um i don't think people always look into ebay like super deeply but this is kind of one method um that you can use to kind of reverse engineer um a successful store right um so if you see that an ebay site has um you know sometimes they say how many are sold how many items were sold um it can be you know a thousand you know like two thousand three hundred of these water bottles were sold by this one person within however much time um and maybe their price is the lowest and maybe their shipping is the fastest you know it's probably getting them a lot um i'm not saying this is uh a good or the best move but if you can find those stores that are doing the best and undercut them and provide a, a better service than they provide and somehow be able to find legally um the product that they're selling at a rate where you would profit then you're probably going to be able to capture the sales um now people do market their ebay links um to get more traffic to their ebay um stores but it's not um too obvious like it's it's not so much like people are really going around talking about like instagram theme pages with ebay stores or like facebook marketing you know like facebook ads for your ebay store or even using like craigslist or whatever like it's not something you ever really commonly hear but you know um, ebay just is a platform where traffic comes to it automatically and usually people are looking for something fast and cheap um and good quality and good condition um you know so it helps if it's local it helps if it's free shipping it helps if it's brand new um people like good descriptions good pictures um the quality um and they don't want to wait too long you know if something is shipping from china and it's going to take 45 days you know by that point you know unless it's something that they really can't find elsewhere they might not really need it for as cheap as it's listed for that long of a wait um if somebody's mostly strapped financially they can wait as long as they need to get the item um so that's kind of how it looks um 
it's not it's not hard to really see you know how you could get better eBay sales I mean you just look at all your competition basically um, you can see how saturated a market is or how not popular a market is just by looking through eBay I mean and that's eBay specific I mean some markets are incredibly popular but maybe like on eBay it's not really something that you're that you're gonna find like for example where I live you know THC is something very popular you know weed uh, people buy weed but usually you're buying it at a dispensary or getting it delivered you're not purchasing that stuff off eBay you know like not legally anyways um, and so things like that that are like regulated there's cer certain places you're just not likely to find them and if you do it's kind of risky for you and risky for them um, you know I couldn't recommend you know making risky decisions um, you know you want to be within the law especially because you're super traceable but um yeah I think I mean here it's legal but it's not legal to like just sell it on eBay um but yeah so there are so basically looking from a buyer's perspective um you basically want to reverse the way you're looking at it and look at it from the seller's perspective the seller makes I don't know what profit let's give it a number let's say the seller makes ten dollars per water bottle um, so if they sell all 100 of their water bottles they're gonna make a thousand dollars if that's the profit that they get um, now how much do they spend on those water bottles that is not always easy to tell I mean you'll have to research that out and you know you can contact sellers and ask them those questions but usually they're not gonna like just flat out tell you um depending what type of stuff you're actually buying make sure it's not stolen um because i mean that is just complicated right there you know um um you can get into the resale game this way just buying something and reselling it for a profit you know um, arbitrage the main difficulty with it is that you can um, you can reach like you can you can basically potentially end up wasting money um, buying products that you're either not gonna sell too lazy to sell or they won't sell themselves um, I mean if you think about it if it's a $10 profit for an item how much work are you willing to put in for that $10 right if it's not an easily duplicated process you're probably not gonna put in a whole day's worth of work you know going and searching on items and looking for items and posting up items and then if it doesn't sell then you're like oh my gosh now I gotta return the items like say you're shopping at Target or something 
um, and just reselling items from Target that you purchased um, on eBay. Um, usually that's not going to be the best route to take. Um, I mean, if you hit a sale, that could help, but I mean, usually you can, people can find it cheaper somewhere else. So it does take a bit of researching. That's usually one thing that takes longer than anything else. And depending on what the item is, the market might shift drastically. So that's basically all, you know, all you really need to know to try to reverse engineer a process from from something like eBay. Because um, eBay is basically people buying and, and selling what they have in their hand or what they have available to them. Um, and they got it somewhere and they are able to sell it. And you look at the prices, and a lot of times, all the prices might be different within a couple dollars, with, within a few cents. You can tell which one you're getting the best bargain on. Um, and then when you look at all the details, like the shipping speeds, how long it's going to take to get to you, um, the ratings that the person has, are they honest, dishonest, are they just like sending crap, you know, and then you have to return it. Um, you know, you want to read the reviews, you want to read the you know, everything on, on the item that you're purchasing if you're, if you're just buying something. And then you basically compare, right? That's what you do on eBay. You compare what you think is the best and see, is there something better than this, um, right? And then you buy the best one for you, what's going to fit you. Um, so what you would do reversed would be you need to be the one who's selling the best item that's going to fit what your people are looking for if you think about things like um travel gear think about things like um camping gear for example that's like an easy one for summer uh, when people are in a vacation season things that people take vacations to go and do um you know people generally want their stuff pretty quick like, usually someone's not going to go on eBay and purchase something if they know that they're flying out tomorrow. But if they're flying out in, like, a week, they might look and purchase, you know, what they're, what they're looking for. So, say, if they're going either backpacking or camping or something like that, people definitely buy, you know, um, supplies online, on eBay. And they want them fast, right? Because they're trying to go somewhere and use this. And you know that they usually don't need it next day, right? That's not going to be too common that someone's going to use eBay for next bit, next day um, arrival once you ship it or whatever. Like, usually something like that you use, like, Amazon Prime or... And, and it's still risky because Amazon Prime sometimes might be a day later than it says it's going to be. But still, it's usually... Amazon Prime is usually going to be faster than eBay, but it's not going to cost the same um, as eBay. eBay can usually be quite a bit cheaper. Um, eBay is usually a little bit more of a wait though. I do believe eBay does have an option to come pick up stuff if it's like in your neighborhood but the person has to list it as an item that you can come and get and I've never used that but I've, I've heard about it. Um, and basically um, you know, say for, for the camping gear and, and like 
you know, vacation supplies type stuff. Um, yeah, people usually want it fast, basically, and they're usually going to purchase it to use it, right? So you want to put descriptions about an item that people would want to know when they're taking it somewhere. Like, is it waterproof? Is it warm? Is it, does it break easily? Is it flimsy? You know, if it helps if you've used the products too, because then you can tell, you know, okay, I bought this and it broke in a week. Or, like, it's good, but, you know, it's good for the price, but there are better versions of this. Um, you might just learn about it that way and talk about it that way. Um, and I think that's mostly all you would do. Now, if you had, um, you know, for the second more complex one, if I used, like, for example, like, the job that I have, um yeah my my 40 hour work week you know um it's eh, it's not all medical case management but it's it's intensive case management so there's you know medical mental health and like community resources basically like such as like housing food shelters um you know follow up after hospital follow up during hospital connecting people to appointments to providers to specialists to um, to, you know, um, you're just connecting people basically, um, to resources and then supporting them with the resources, helping them out, making sure that the other sites are following up on what they need. We're kind of like the in-between person, but we do a lot of, of work. Um, the way I get paid is my company getting paid, right? Um, and I get paid based on a certain amount of productivity, a certain amount of, you know, types of categories within that productivity that count towards the billing um, that actually gets the money in. Um, so, for example, when I first started this job, like, let's say start to finish, when I first started this job, it was a brand new site. Um, I was the first one of my team hired. There were two people on the other team that were new, and they were about, they were less than three months into the process. I came in when they were um, about on their second month or something, and we were all in the office physically for a three-month period of time, because you know how it is with a lot of jobs. When you first start the job, you're there for a 90-day um, probationary period. So we had 90 days each um, in the office during the probationary period. During that timeline, we were building our caseloads. So I started out this job with zero clients. Um, and so there was a number of clients that I needed to reach. I believe, I don't know if it was always this way, but I know now we're expected to have, you know, uh, 35 for an incentive, but you need 30, I don't know if it's 30 or 33, but I think, let's say we need 30, we have to have 30 minimum to be able to reach the goals that we need to reach for the money. Now, you know they're going to overshoot, right? They're always going to overshoot. So if they say that my productivity is 360 minutes of counted productive work per day, 
in an, during an eight-hour shift, then it's likely not 360 minutes. It's likely less than that, right? Um, they're accounting for other things, like that some of that isn't billed uh, to the insurance, um, or that there's going to be time that we're just not fully hitting productivity every single day. But it needs to average out basically the 360 um, minutes a day for every week. Um, so some days you can be under, some days you can be like in the 200s, some days you can be in the 400s. Um, but that's good to know. Um, but so usually you're going to, you usually start with um, zero clients. Um, we do training. We get what's called, well, they changed the name of it, but it was called a targeted engagement list. That means that those were the people that the insurance identified as high utilizers of emergency services. And, you know, when somebody goes to the ER, that costs the insurance a lot of money. And they're going to the ER because usually they're not always connected to providers that can help them right away they have unmanaged health health and other types of conditions going on and they're not fully functioning that's one thing that leads people to the er another thing is just definitely emergencies that come up that hasn't that doesn't have anything to really do with long-term unmanaged situations um so our site um for a while the person who created the site was writing a grant proposal. Um, basically, they had to write a proposal stating that, you know, what kind of services we could provide, um, or just the proposal in general, but like what kind of services we could provide. Um, and this is before it was even a fully staffed site or anything. Like they had to get that contract in place. Um, so basically what happens is our site is contracted with the insurance branches. And we're contracted with the site and they basically, um, you know, have us doing a lot of tasks for the clients. Um, and we basically help them so, I mean, it's, it's a lot more complicated than the eBay example. Um, I didn't really, like, organize this one. But that's kind of the beginning process, you know, starting a caseload. So we get the caseload from the insurance. The insurance has already identified there are high utilizers in certain zip codes. And, you know, with certain insurance branches, that insurance sends you a list of about 100 something people and you need about 30 of them to enroll so you get your list and you basically just cold call they've already gotten a letter from our company just a cold letter uh snail mail um they usually don't respond to those because it seems just like junk and then we call them about about it and hopefully they answer the phone we have their contact information on this list. It's their name, their language, their pri like their primary language, 
their uh, current PCP doctor, their medical record numbers, their SIP phone number, right? Um, we don't have an email listed on there. Um, we have the, pro the main PCP's name, uh, doctor's site, and phone number to that site. And then we have the recent ER visits, like how many there were within the amount of six months or 12 months. And then all the formally diagnosed conditions that qualify them for our program or formal needs that they have that qualify them for a program, such as if they're homeless living in a shelter or um, something along those lines, um, they qualify for our services. So they don't even know that we are trying to get them enrolled in our program. We come to them first and we basically have this whole scripted pitch that we're supposed to give. A lot of us have altered the script because it sounds so telemarketing like that it doesn't even, you know, benefit them because they don't even hear it and they don't even listen and they don't read the, ma the mail and uh, it just seems like complete spam and fake. So people aren't usually going to just like see it and just be like, oh yeah, this is the service that I want. And especially because a lot of people have, you know, so many other providers already, they're like, why do I need this thing? And it's not even like some a term that they've heard very often. Like the type of case management we're providing isn't um, like a common thing that like is heard about um, in mainstream, you know, medical fields or something that people um, usually talk about. You know, doctors aren't usually referring people to us. Uh, we are usually, you know, referring people to doctors. They don't, they don't even know we exist a lot of times. So we cold call these people and the first step is get them on the phone and make a really good impression. Um, usually what I say is, you know, I'll introduce myself. Um, I'll make sure I'm talking to the accurate person and I'll ask them if they have, you know, I'll say that the insurance asked me to call and I just need a couple minutes of your time to explain why I'm calling if you have the time. Uh, to listen I'll explain it really quickly and so I you know I basically go with you know if you have support needs and you are needing to um like if you have support needs and you're and you need you know certain support and in a lot of specific areas that I've noticed um the insurance kind of doesn't really follow through with a lot like if a person has referrals that haven't been followed up on, if a person has providers that they've been trying to connect to, if a person needs certain specialists, if a person needs like food resources, housing resources, um, you know, language resources, transportation that's free. These are usually the free, you know, the, I mean, everything we offer is free, but, um, for them anyways, cause it's covered by their insurance, but I'm just like, all you really need is to answer our calls once a month to check in with us and you, you know, we can make sure you, you get the information you need and help directly connect you to these support services. Um, and 
you know, get them, get them connected. And so we basically try and get them enrolled. Um, it's nice when they want to enroll right away. Um, so usually what happens is, you know, there's this conflict. We don't get in trouble for this or anything, but there's this conflict that I've noticed, right? So like I mentioned, our scripted pitch is very awkward sounding. You know, it would go somewhere along the lines of like, hello, this is Grace from so-and-so company. Um, am I speaking with so-and-so? And, you know, I'd like to tell you about a great opportunity and you can get a free, you know, goodie bag if you enroll in our services and, um, you know, the name of the program is blah, 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 you know, type of case management. And, you know, the background information, honestly, in the pitch is so lengthy and unimportant that nobody wants to hear you. They're either going to hang up on you or they get so confused by all the stuff that you're jumbled up saying that they don't even think that they want it because you start mentioning stuff and you just sound like, okay, I'm trying to like scam you basically. Like when, I think it makes more sense to say who we are, how I know their number, why I'm calling them. Basically we call because the insurance needs us to connect to double check if certain people need additional support based on what the insurance is seeing in the system of the services that they're using and services that they could potentially benefit from that they haven't been using. And then I like to figure out the problems, the specific problems that these people have had with providers, with um, the system that they're already in. And once I figure out the system that they're, that they're having issues with, I ask them, can I take like, do you have like three to four minutes right now for me to just enroll you into our system, right? Um, and then I'll create a list of needs of uh, items that you want, uh, that we want to like collaboratively work on right away. And I'll contact you back like tomorrow or the next day um, with a specific plan of what we're doing to help you and um, if there's anything else that comes up between now and the next day or two just let us know and so I ask all the important questions that I need to know and then I go in and I you know do the assessments and everything the, the, the uh, treatment plan everything now what our job expects us to do is after the cold call with the with the script that they've provided to live in real time, do the full assessment with them by phone while we're fumbling around with the computer um, in real time, asking them question by question by question by question by question and clicking on the things and filling in the boxes and doing all the stuff. And that takes about one and a half hours for the first assessment and about probably about another hour and a half for the second assessment right but since I've memorized it I know the categories to hit so if they say no to a certain category then I already know that's not the that you know I don't need to write in that category 
Um, so I've streamlined our work system for myself in a way that I've noticed maximizes my chances of getting clients because the pitch is quick. I hit the points that they want to hear. I listen to what they actually need from me and I get back to them quickly with a solution and actual results within the next day or two that keeps them engaged, that builds the rapport. And then of course, they're going to be in contact once a month, even if it's just me texting to be like, oh, happy 4th of July or something. You know, how, how are you doing? Did you make your appointments? You know, these types of things. Do you need help with this? Do you not need help with this? What's going good? You know, um, you know, we follow up with all of their cases. And so that's, that's something I noticed. Um, and when it comes to the process of, you know, trying to potentially reverse engineer or try to see how there are areas where you could, um, you know, take parts from a company that you know very well and implement it into a new project for yourself, um, there are definitely things that I noticed don't work. Um, long pitches don't work. I mean, you got to think about it. If somebody calls you from a random number, you don't know who they are. You happen to pick up the phone. Um, you call, they call you, um, you know, they know, they know your name. Um, if they don't say something you need to hear within the first minute or so, or less than a minute, then the first like sentence or two, you know, if I call and I say, hello, my name is Grace. I'm calling from so-and-so to talk about your insurance benefits and I name the insurance and I, you know, uh, start talking about like specifically like a couple of the doctors listed on their chart or something and some support needs that the, that the insurance has identified that a person needs. I mean, they're already hearing stuff that is familiar to them versus me calling and giving this whole explanation about all the stuff they don't care what what the name is of the company and how we were contracted with this and that and like they don't care about that they just want to know who you are why you're calling them how the heck you got their number and what the heck do you want because they're probably busy um and so if you can make it worth the time to keep them on the phone for even five minutes versus nine ninety like two ninety minute sessions you know um, cause the thing is you develop rapport and then you can finish out the assessments, like the assessments, you have 30 days to complete them. And so it makes more sense to me to get the ball rolling on what they need immediately and start working with them right away versus spend the majority of the time getting all this background information. Um, if they already don't want to talk to you now, if they want to talk to you, that's a whole different thing. But if they don't want to talk to you, it's like well, I don't want to talk to you, so why would I, you know, they're either going to hang up or they block you, and, and, or if you leave them a message, then they're never going to call back. Like, we mostly we just get blocked because our numbers appear like spam. So, yeah. And the number that I have, the name shows up, and it doesn't sound like a real name. This isn't the actual name, but the name would be equivalent to being named Bob Jack-O-Lantern. It's almost like that. Like the person's last name, the person who last had my phone was just the average Joe Blow guy. And that person had a name that doesn't seem real. Um, and so, you know, that doesn't help either. If, if there's something popping up, Bob Jack-O-Lantern, you know, 
when I call, you know, I've called crisis houses to try and get clients admitted, um, and that, you know, they needed that support and they wanted to get in. And, you know, I heard the, the crisis house on the other line, like Bob Jack-O-Lantern, like, who's that? And then they kind of just kept the phone off the line and I could hear in the background that I'm just like, hello, hello. So I had to use my personal cell phone and I called the actual, you know, crisis house. And I'm like, yeah, that's my work cell. And I'm literally on the other line with you guys and you didn't even answer my call kind of thing. And so I had to like explain it to them. And plus it's a crisis house. I was like, dude, you got to answer your phones, even if you think I'm scamming you, but I wasn't. Um, but things like that can make something that should be so simple into something complex. If you're trying to like coordinate with clients and providers and stuff and your phone has some weird number um or some weird name attached to it how it's like it might be this person and you're and it, that's the name that keeps showing up it's like it's not even that person like you know no that's it, that's not right um so that's kind of the beginning of the job and then they have to like I mentioned they have to engage with us at least once every week the goal is or sorry once every month and then the goal is to get the the ultimate goal is to get everything on their treatment plan to become well managed that's ideal right so if if a person enrolls because they're homeless and they need housing that's affordable and they've been at a shelter for like half a year and you know maybe they have symptoms of psychosis but they don't have a phone really and so you know they have trouble doing all these phone sessions but no transportation to get to see the psychiatrist and they keep running out of meds um if these are the problems coming up for them um then you know we can enroll them and you know we try to resolve the issues as smoothly as possible and once they're connected, you know, they're done, pretty much, they can graduate the program. Some people who may not really need anything intensive might still stick around because they, they've developed rapport. We're very supportive. We call people just, you know, there is a, a, a more, not that we're not professional, but there is a, a lot more casualness about it because we are allowed to text them and like, you know, I've had clients show me, like, you know, that had, like, maybe dermatology issues with their hair, like, when they had hair loss or something, and they would send me, like, a picture of, like, their hair growth, or, like, when they got a new house or something, they would show me, like, how they decorated their, their living room or something, or, like, stuff like that, that, like, usually, you know, when you're in a therapy role or a doctor role or something like that, you're not usually, like, receiving those types of messages to and from people, um, I mean, we don't send them stuff about our lives like that, but, like, you know, sometimes, like, if you're somewhere, you can send them, like, a picture of something that helps, like, um, but not, like, personal stuff, but I'm just saying, like, say if there's, like, a type of, like, bus pass or something, and, you know, you see a picture of it somewhere, and you can, like, send them a picture of what it looks like or something like that. Or even on, like, Google, you can screenshot it and send them, like, a picture of it. Or send them, like, a link to, like, a YouTube meditation video or something like that. Um, and so, if you were to take that process of how much we need, um, 
how, mu how much we need to contact them once a month, uh, at least once a month, um, and how much productivity we need per day, pretty much. Um, all of that equates to the money that the company gets paid. So another thing you definitely would need to know is how much is this company paying in rent for the office building and how much do they actually spend um, on the phone lines, on the Wi-Fi hotspots, on the computers that we use. They probably have some kind of liability insurance. Um, how much do they spend kind of like keeping us afloat? Um, and able to do our jobs, um, that's an expense to the company, right? So basically the company needs to be making enough to cover its expenses as well as enough money to pay its employees. Um, and we know how much we get paid. And so we know the owner of this company is getting paid way more than we get. And so that means that a company like this makes a lot of money. And then at the same time, they're still opening branches for different they're opening new um, sections for different insurance branches. Like I started, I was the, I was part of the second insurance branch that opened, and now I think there have been three more, and I think there are two more coming up. Um, and so they're getting all types of insurance, like Kaiser and things like that, kind of connected with us. Um, and so, yeah, we. We basically um, help a lot of, of people who need a lot of things. Um, but if you if you know all the details, like there's a lot of details you need to know to figure out how companies make money. And that's kind of how you look at it. I mean, it's easy when you have an insider perspective and especially if you started from scratch with a company. Um, I mean, we get incentive bonuses for having a certain amount of clients um, over the minimum. So if we have 35 for during a 90-day period, then we get an incentive check. And so um, it's basically free money. And it's not even equivalent to one paycheck. It's less than one. It's about a half of a paycheck worth and so that's fine um like i'm thinking like after taxes it's about it's a little more than half of a paycheck um overall and then um so that does that does at least keep us kind of motivated enough to keep a caseload at a high number um otherwise uh i don't know if people would because it's like why have more clients with more stressful issues when you're still going to be getting paid the exact same to have less clients even though you might want more it's like there is a certain amount like in the low in the high 20s that's usually the amount where you're just coasting once you start getting into like closer to 30 it's a little challenging and once you're at like 35 that's you're pretty busy all the time um, which is fine, but, you know, it's, it's like, overly busy. You really have to be on, on task with, like, managing your time and everything. Once you start getting close to 40, that's a lot. And I think we max out at, like, 44, 45. So, 
the most I've had is like 40, and that's not really manageable. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how, how the job looks, kind of what we do, what it, you know, what happens for the company to make money, how we get our paychecks, we get paid hourly, so we get the same amount of money every single month, um, right now we get paid every other Friday, so, and before it was on the 10th and the 25th, and so now it's every other Friday, um, which is different, because now we get paid the exact same amount every single time, uh, twice a month, with, instead of before how we used to get paid, um, not the same amount, <laughs> we would get paid just based on however many hours, um, came during that pay period, um, and now all of our pay periods are 80 hours, so we don't really have to think much past that, um, and, you know, it's a major, it's a major company with benefits and everything, um, but, you know, that's kind of how I would look at it, is like, you know, I'm not saying, like, learn it to restart your own company exactly as is, but it's like, you can see in the different areas what it is that makes money. You can see that the insurance cares about, you know, not losing money, right? You can see that the insurance notices that ER visits cost them a lot more money. And it's actually less money for them to hire out contracted sites to try to remedy the situation of people using the ER at such high rates. Um, so, um, that's easy to kind of explain a little bit. Um, I don't think it's hard for people to really understand. Um, maybe it is. Maybe I didn't explain it well, but I think it's like that's pretty much what we do and how the job goes start to finish and you can kind of see you know working in a field like that where there are holes in the system like I mentioned people blocking us um another thing is that you know with gas prices when we go out in the field if we do I mean it's a remote job pretty much but you know if people go out um in the field um, they don't necessarily get, um, they don't really get too much, so, like, they don't get a lot of money, basically, like, you get paid less money to go out in the field, because the mileage reimbursement doesn't really equal the amount of gas that you're spending. And in Southern California, our gas is over $6. And so if you're being reimbursed like 53 something cents, um, that's not going to usually cover most people's, you know, gas. So that's another thing to take into account is that there are certain services that might actually look better and be reimbursed at a higher rate like us doing things in person in the field at 
specific doctor sites meeting our clients but we don't prefer to do that because we lose money now our company gives us a company credit card to pay for maybe fees for like parking meters um different small things that we might have to do um and it's not like all the time but yeah we have to show receipts and everything so yeah it's not it's not um too easy to explain I guess every single thing but um that's generally how it looks and you know like I mentioned there are definitely holes in the system you know we're collaborating with other sites sometimes they don't want to do things very quickly um sometimes they drop the ball on something important sometimes they're not there or they no show or they you know kind of don't have good rapport with the client and so there's all these other variables that get in the way of us just like simply doing our jobs for the longest time there was no rental support um companies out there they just came out the beginning of july and so we had a bunch of people needing support paying their rent because they were losing work and not having enough money and all the covid assistance programs closed down in march so between march and july we had no money for people to pay their rent and we don't give people money we have to connect people with sites who do and so i luckily found one um not that long ago um on the 5th i think it was the 5th it was after the 4th of july so on the 5th i found the program um because one of my clients needed rental assistance um and i found one and i told everybody um you know about it um so they could connect their clients who need that but those types of resources dry up pretty quickly too and because you know everybody's needing rental support right now um and it gets the landlords involved too so it's not just like this site gives you money like that like it basically um it doesn't just like send you money like you have to like there's like a whole application process so but yeah that's kind of how it looks to uh reverse engineer you know a job or an income source you know it can be like on a small scale ebay is probably the easiest type of thing to replicate um where there's data right there in front of your eyes i mean that you can do like online um i think ebay is one of the easier things to use but um yeah the good thing about online uh sites is that you know those platforms oftentimes you can compare um and here come the sirens my goodness um we had a motorcycle and some sirens um but yeah i guess for now that's just about it um yeah i hope that's helpful um just think about it you know that's that's one way to think about how to do something um is basically reverse engineering an income stream um that's kind of you know one way to look at it if you can see kind of from the from the buyer perspective you know 
um, and then see what the seller perspective is, then you can kind of see like, you know, what's the seller doing to get you as the buyer to kind of come to them um, and then just duplicate that. Like the reason why I think eBay is easy is because you're not really having to do like Google ads and, you know, Facebook ads and all kind of ads and stuff. Like basically it advertises itself. Um, you know, people are searching for the item and if it's something that multiple people are searching for, they're likely going to find your item. Um, it just depends if the market's too saturated and there's too much competition. Um, but yeah, but for this recording, uh, it's pretty much all I have to say. Hopefully it was helpful and thanks for listening.